Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor. And I'm Mike Wade. Mike. Gareth. Welcome to our quarterly podcast. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> we're on fire. We're on fire. We did one like 30 days ago or something. Yeah. In this very costume studio. That's right. Mm-hmm. The costume studio is our new podcasting routine. It's been working out pretty well. We yeah. podcast whenever you come up to the shop from yeah. the Great Apple. Big yeah. Apple, whatever. What do they call it? What do they call that town of yours? Uh, Hipsterville. Hipsterville. <laughs> Fantastic. And speaking of hipsters, that's a nice new iPad you got there. It's a nice new <laughs> iPad I have here. Yeah, I got one of the the fancy schmancy new iPad Pros, the one the the eleven inch with the inductive charging pencil and. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little jealous. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. should get one. Yeah, whatever. They're pretty. It looks really nice next to your Surface. (laughs) (laughs) It does. I like my Surface laptop Mm -hmm. very much. Yeah. But I like my iPad too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got some meetings coming up where the juxtaposition might be kind of funny of those two components. (laughs) Um, But more on that another time. Yeah. Later. Later. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, what's funny is that I took so long editing the last, I mean, I didn't, wasn't really editing the whole time. I just procrastinated (laughs) editing the last episode so long that we released the episode where we declared that we would be coming to LDI after LDI. Yeah. Well, we were already there. I mean, why, why declare our presence? Everybody knows. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But so we're going to follow up, uh, on that and, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, what we did at LDI. LDI was great this year, actually. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. I arrived on Thursday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, it was it was pretty fantastic from my point of view. Yeah. I got there. Rada, Pete, and Nicole were already there. Yeah, the booth was mostly set up. The booth was 100% up until, yeah, yeah. until I took some of it apart. Until you took it apart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fucking can't take you anywhere. <laughs> what did Pete say? Mike's here. He made a presence known. <laughs> Mike is here. He's making his presence known. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sure but we did it it was good it was it was awesome actually i think i think this year i was pretty excited about seeing the booth and like we made some changes to it yeah the biggest change was we didn't bring the floor pocket no floor pocket uh no floor pocket and um but we did bring a turntable yes turntable you say the devil you say the devil you say you know we've spent so many years telling people that they've made their turntable wrong it cannot be the machine that it was i'm glad that we finally actually proved that that probably is the turntable (laughs) (laughs) it was time for us to put up or shut up i think about that yeah yeah it was Um, yeah it's a nice turntable harry beauregard harry beauregard real name not a stage name uh, it's totally a porn name (laughs) (laughs) Harry Beauregard. Uh, You're welcome, Harry. <laughs> who's been uh, with us just since June, but it's been it's been lovely having him already. Yeah. And hope it's much, much longer time. But he uh, dove in and designed up this modular turntable of ours. Yeah. So we came up with this idea that, you know, we should uh, we should make a turntable because right. because that is one of the biggest challenges that we find when people rent revolvers and make their turntable is that, you know, it isn't. It isn't super, and and it's hard to quantify where that problem turns out to be. Right. right. Um, and so we thought, why don't we make one, and why don't we make a turntable that uh, that we can put together as fast as possible and with no bolts? Yeah, that was 
directive. One of the directives Z- that we gave Harry as zero part of bolts. design was zero bolts. So, you know, coffin lock keys only. Two people have to be able to put it together in two hours or less. And and we attained Rada and Pete put that thing together in one hour. Right. And neither one of them had assembled it one time before. Yeah. Yeah. Rada had admittedly taken it apart once, but he had not put it together. Right. So, uh, so goal achieved. Yeah. It's got some really cool features to it. So it's, it's a pie wedge design, which is, you know, uh, in the world of turntables, there's a few different ways to skin the cat. It's (laughs) innovative. Yeah. No one's ever seen this before. It's wedges. (laughs) <laughs> the um, devil you say <laughs> but so it's a wedge wedge design with a uh polygon center and the in the center there's a uh slip ring pre-installed so you can pass uh power up uh into the from from below the stage onto the turntable to power your practicals and so on yep. uh, which is also a common request and nice to have that just built in there right in uh and then it's a uh, wheels up design because we're not animals. <laughs> <laughs> so I had somebody recently where I was like, "Well, hey, so we have this wheels up turntable." Like, I've never had anything but wheels down. Like, oh, you haven't lived, my yeah, friend. You have not lived. <laughs> have you ever needed power to the middle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to run over those cables. Don't do that. Well, it's actually easy to run over the cables. Super so. simple. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So wheels up and uh, Harry, I mean, he had a lot of really great design features in there, but I, I'm a huge fan of the way he designed the spider. It's a very cool uh, spider design. It's super slick. I mean, there's steel tubes, laser cut wheels are recessed. So we have uh, on brand orange wheels. Yeah. There's orange wheels, which is super cool looking. Uh, Uh, And like you said, they're recessed down it like pocketed into into the the tubes. Yeah. Yeah. And And then then the, yeah, the tubes just go in with quick pins. Yeah. So it's just pins. like hitch pins, like it, attach the tubes. snap onto the, the center with quick pins. And then they've got uh, spreader. Spacers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spreader bars, flat bar spreader bars that uh, lock into in. place. Yeah. Just in pins and adjustable feet on the whole thing. And so leveling you, easy. You level everything pretty simple <clears throat> and um, drop the pieces down and then yeah, literally just cough and lock parts in. Yeah really nice um, it's super slick yeah it's a really good design and this first one that we built um is a 12 footer um one of the things that we've mentioned on the podcast before is that a challenge with turntables <laughs> is like knowing what size turntable everyone wants we can never have a 12 foot turntable the art will die the if it is not die. 11 foot 11 that's right <laughs> exactly <laughs> um and so we chose this uh, to do the first one as a, a fairly small turntable yeah. a 12 footer um <clears throat> Partially selfishly, or actually almost entirely <laughs> selfishly, because that's the size we needed for our our booth. Our booth. <laughs> um, but we also wanted to kind of test the waters and find out, like, well, you know, if we had like a twelve foot, how many people are going to be interested in that? And then if if not twelve feet, hopefully that'll inspire people to tell us what size. Yeah, and then we can get a uh, some idea of what the second size is. I think in my head I have this concept that we're and there's. It's, not 100% confident in it, but I, I'm hoping that we find like a small and big turntable size and we we standardize on those two. <laughs> Mike's telling me three. Small, <laughs> medium, large, which could be small, medium, large. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been wrong before. We, yeah, so have I. Um, <laughs> um, 
Well, I mean, here I am eating my words that we're making turntables, right? Like I, I said for years, we would not make turntables yeah. in house, and now we're starting. So um, they're up on the website, and uh, yeah. we'll talk about the new website in a moment. But the their the turntable product is up on the website. Um, we have uh, we have some available for rental. We are selling them as well, um, and I I think they I think they could. On both sides, it could be great, but especially as a rental item, I think it could really help a lot of the theaters out that uh, don't need a turntable all that often and would just like to get a package in on a couple of pallets and set it up, use it for a show, send it back. Yeah. I mean, we ship the thing <clears throat> we ship the thing back to the shop on two roughly four by eight pallets. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. It's pretty compact. And on the turntable front, not only is the turntable there, but, you know, if you want components or need components, say a center, say a pivot. <laughs> yeah. With okay. an integrated encoder. <laughs> right. And slippering. And slippering. <clears throat> or not all of those things. Right. We'd be happy to, we'd be happy to make that for you too. Yeah. Uh, Cause that is a pretty big challenge, but the turntable is driven with a, with a revolver on the outside. Right. But we're doing our positioning from the center. That's on right. On the on the pivot off the pivot yeah um and it's funny because i've had a few people ask me about that they're like oh i thought the revolver was built as a um with a friction wheel encoder and and it certainly was and it absolutely is (laughs) and and as i we've always tried to be very upfront with people about this that you know encoding from the edge is not the best way it is the most convenient way it is the quickest way yeah exactly And that means in most of our cases where somebody has built their own turntable, we don't have to know how your center was built to get an encoder in there. You can just plop this machine at the edge. But if we have total control of all aspects of the turntable, like the best way to do it. 100% creative Condor's control. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Then the best way to encode is off the center because you can get the most accurate positioning that way. Yeah. And we can, you know, I mean, we were, we were, dead on after three days right. of spinning this thing around at different speeds with different people on there, different loads, changing loads. And, and to the end of every day we were lining up with our match marks again, which was, which is great. And awesome. anyways, yeah. You know that if you're doing a dancer wheel encoder, yeah. you know, every show you're going to have to, to rehome. And I don't think that's the end of the world, but it is, it if, is not, if you yeah. can have a center drive encoder, so yeah. much the better. If you can have a center drive. It's wicked pissa. That's right. Wicked pissa. <laughs> so another thing that we brought for the first time out in public uh, was some architectural components. Yeah, yeah. Our um, <clears throat> our uh, automation control point, automation PowerPoint. Right. Um, and you know we're promptly informed that somebody else thought we had a they had a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just trade shows. I mean, that's just trade shows. Yeah. I mean, like, well, you did a turntable like that. <laughs> the hell with you. Um, so, uh, the goal of these two, these two pieces, the, uh, automation control point and automation PowerPoint, it really just to, uh, reduce or eliminate the need for temporary wiring, uh, out to your positions, right? Out to your motor, out to wherever you're putting your stagehands or wherever you're putting your control positions uh, or remote e-stops. Right. Um, and um, so, you know, as a theater, you know, as you're building a theater or refurbing a theater, these are things that can go in and be permanent and part of the part of the infrastructure. Right. Um, to help reduce the load in time, help reduce some of the troubleshooting time once everything's installed and 
ready to go. And what they are physically is are they're eight, eight inch uh, J boxes, basically, right? That have um, knockouts for conduit to come in. They have a DIN rail strip on the inside, uh, and then pre-wired connectors coming out. So on the ACP, there is a showstopper three accessory port and two ethernet ports, right? And then on the APP we've got, which is the automation PowerPoint, we've got the ethernet port, the showstopper 24 volt XLR five pin, and then also an L1530 power connector. Yeah, so you can plug your stagehand in there. So you're running your your distri- your your uh, your short runs of cable are all well short. Right yeah, right. So, like, so if you had like on the stage left wing, you had four power points and four more power points on the stage right wing. You'd have potentially eight positions to easily plug in deck winches or turntables or something. And then your automation control points are there for you know with the two with the two Cat fives and the showstopper accessory you can plug a consulate in you can plug your you can plug a consulate and your spike mark pc into the same into the same box so wherever those go you know have those out in the tech position you could have one in the booth if you needed one for a remote e-stop position right Um, and then one backstage so to help during tech or load in and and then you know if you had chain hoist for instance and you wanted them on the grid you could have one up there and then you could plug your pendant into that same connection what? Yeah, and then jog machines right from the pendant, right yeah. from the glory of the touchscreen pendant. That's right. Mm-hmm. And we brought the real pendant with us as well, which I, I know we've talked about on the show previously, but it was nice to... It's nice to have it out. Nice to have it out, and to have the production version mm-hmm. with us and all that. And Because uh, it's a it's a totally sweet printed box, printed yeah. printed handheld box. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's gorgeous. Like, Rada spent... He he really nailed it. I mean, it was, you know. He did. It's great design work yeah. that he did on that. And I mean, everybody else in the shop, too, who contributed to that without a question. You know, Christian kicked ass and took names on that one. I mean, he might not even have had time to take names. He just kicked ass. <laughs> it's too, much, too much coding in there. No time for taking names. <laughs> Only time for Sour Patch Kids in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sour Patch Kids in, code out. <laughs> Yeah, but I think LDI was pretty successful this year. I mean, you know, it was a it was a good I think it was a good show. We had some really interesting conversations and um you know, and I mean, I think you and I were both pretty lucky this year where our time was limited. <laughs> we were very lucky this year. It was great. Yeah. I, I flew in Thursday night and then I was out Saturday night on the Red Eye back to Rhode Island. Yeah. So, it was very very quick. And I was there through the through load out on Sunday night. So right. We got everything packed up and and ready to go and labeled, and then yeah, and then it sat in like an out warehouse for like three more days while they tried uh, to find it. That was sad. <laughs> it's totally sad. Although it's pretty exciting to hear to hear our ops manager whether I'm calling into the shop to talk to anybody in the shop. I can hear him yelling at <laughs> the conference services people. And then today and well, this past couple of days, I've heard him doing it in in the flesh. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, that's excellent. I'm glad somebody else is taking their wrath. <laughs> <laughs> Little deflected from me this time. <laughs> and then uh, also when we. Uh, just before we went to LDI, we launched the the new website. It uh, which looks cow. awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, Pete, I can't 
I can't even begin to comprehend the number of hours that guy has spent on making it so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. He spent a lot of time on it and it really paid off. It looks awesome. It's easy to navigate. So much easier to navigate. (laughs) So easy to find all the products that we use. And yeah. Um, there's little bits and pieces that we're still cranking through, but I mean, the the overall effect is just amazing. It's really, 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 really nice looking. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out because it is, it is a enormous departure from our previous website. Uh, and at the same time, if you've got any, if you, if you can't find any information there. Yeah. Do let us know. Yeah. Email us, please. You can email support at creativeconnors.com and, or info at creativeconnors.com and we'll dig it out and figure out what happened. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, because there was a there was a brief moment where it, where we had entertained the idea of switching, make, throwing the switch on the new website. Like, oh my god, I'm glad your wisdom <laughs> came through on that one. <laughs> throwing the switch on the new website, like on the first day of LDI. Yeah, we're like, we should really launch it on uh, at LDI. Like, and then, and then, then Gareth's like, yeah. sage advice was like, maybe we should do that a week before. I'm like, yeah. ah. Why, Gareth? Why? And then we flipped the switch and we were like, holy oh my shit. God, everything broke. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if, I mean, it does feel like it feels more fun and exciting to launch it at, at you know, at a big event. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is like uh, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's sitting in the corner, like hitting refresh on our website, like trying to catch the new announcement no. for, from LDI. We're not uh, not launching the new iPhone. Yeah. So. I mean, I think after we launched it, right, I mean, Christian, I think, focused on just fixing the broken links on the website for, like, three days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. So, but I think it's all settled. I mean, yeah, it's mostly settled it now as far as yeah. I know. Uh, and then do check it out. It, it looks really great. And then I've heard from multiple people um, comments about, like, oh, I didn't know that you had this thing. When did yeah. you start selling it? And like, unfortunately, I'm blanking out which 2016. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We had it for a while. Just it was hard to find. The old website was not as good. So yeah, it's really great though. No, it's great. Hats off to Pete Veal. (laughs) Every day, every day, (laughs) hats off to Pete Veal. (laughs) Oh my gosh! And Gareth, it is Christmas Carol season. It is Christmas Carol season. How do I know? Because everybody (laughs) is calling with bricked stagehand FXs. Uh Like, oh my god, what did I do? Uh Oh. I'm what dusting happened? off my lift. <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, no. So how are they getting bricked? Uh, we're not 100% sure. I Uh-oh. think, well, there's updating, right? So we... Updating we, the firmware. We, yeah, we made an update to the firmware a while ago. And, um, and honestly, it is very funny how many Christmas Carol shows utilize FX units for the Marley lift. Oh, yeah. You know. Marley has to appear. Right. Um, or the bed. Right. And um, and that's about the only time that they're used. And so this is the moment right now mm. where people are plugging everything in. And it's like, oh, maybe I should update my firmware. And it was like, definitely, you should totally do that. Here's the way to do it. And then, you know, eight minutes later, getting a phone call or an email back and saying, uh. Oh, so no. That sucks. Now there's just black bars. No. Oof. That is broken. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's just like, well, I mean, not that it helps anybody at the time, but hopefully it's just wrong firmware getting pushed on there. Yeah. And we haven't been able to those uh, that has actually only been one this year. Okay. That that has happened. Um, But uh, interestingly, I haven't been able to recreate it here. Like Mm. we, we tried. Yeah. We tried extraordinarily. We, We spent, we spent several, several hours, Rod and I trying to destroy the FX unit and we could not. Huh. 
Mm. So we'll have to get that one back and find out what went well, it is on the way. It yeah. will be here tomorrow. As oh, a matter yeah. of fact, there you go. Yes. Um, but you know, if you happen to brick your stagehand effects, don't worry. We have six in rental stock that we can FedEx. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tip. <laughs> but an even better tip, and this is goofy, it's, right? This is like not. Don't wait not until our most crowd engineering, but the um, both the stagehand effects and the stagehand motor controllers both use Rabbit series microcontrollers on the inside uh, to do all their network communication, and the stagehand motion controllers use a Rabbit two thousand series chip, and the stagehand effects use a Rabbit three thousand series chip, but they both share the same firmware update code, like to suck in new. Uh, firmware, and so it is completely possible to shove a stagehand motor controller firmware onto a stagehand FX, and then that will... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then what happens next <laughs> is it doesn't come back. So the, I mean, it will come back. We can we can bring it back. We can to retry. Life. Yeah, we can um, get it back. Yes. But um, one of the things that happens is all of the pin mappings, like all of the like physical, like where the electricity is supposed to go, you know, where where we're supposed. To, what signals are represented by what physical pins gets shot out in the wrong format for that device. And so it succeeds in basically sucking the new firmware, rebooting itself, loading the new pin mapping in, and now everything is gone, including the pin mapping for how the network communication works. So you can't resuscitate it like the, the OLEDs or the LCD screen or the OLED screen, depending on what device you have. Um, won't come back because the wrong pins are assigned mm -hmm. and the, nothing will work. We, when we bring them back, what we do is we pop the cover and there's a little header inside that uh, microcontroller board that we can jam a serial, serial cable, cable onto, yeah. and then we can push the new firmware, old firmware, you know, whatever, the correct firmware <laughs> on there. Um, but they come uh, right back. if yeah. you put the wrong one on there, it won't, you will be out of luck. We can resuscitate it for you, but um, moral of that story is if you're pushing firmware on there manually, like you got to do it carefully. And unfortunately, I think on FXs, you have to push it on there manually. Right? You have to push yeah. it on there manually. Yeah, you have to use the stagehand updater utility, um, right? Which you can download from our website and the correct firmware to download from the website. Um, and uh, but you want to make sure that you put an FX firmware on an FX device. Oh. And the other pro tips for that, right, is to, when you're updating firmware, like take the device off of the main network and just run one ethernet cable from your computer right to that device. So you can't possibly have two devices on the network that share an IP address. I don't know what you were speaking of, Gareth. <laughs> there is no chance that I have done that myself. <laughs> exactly. Like, say you have two devices that have their default address to dot .32, and you just push, throw some firmware to dot .32. It's like Yahtzee. Uh, I mean, like, you have no idea which one's going to receive it. Uh, well, you kind of know. It'll be yeah. the wrong one. It'll be the wrong one. There's no... <laughs> it's yeah. pretty much always the yeah. wrong one. It's the always one the wrong do. one. You're like... Oh, oh, that doesn't, why am I not? Oh, and so some people might ask, which is a reasonable question. Well, why, why would I bother doing this? It sounds like I'm just opening myself up for trouble. Yes, potentially on the effects. That's true. Um, the, but the new features that are kind of cool on the FX that are worth the, the hassle as long as you're not in. I wouldn't do it if it's your only effects and you're moments yeah. away from, <laughs> from tech. From tech. <laughs> like then I would just sit with the old yeah, firmware. <laughs> stay there fine. until you've got a minute. <laughs> yeah, stay there until you're not under pressure. Um, but the um, 
there's two new features that I can think of. One of them is that the on the LCD screen now, it gives you a little uh, status map of what the inputs are. Um, so you can, it gives you like four zeros in each or four digits and a zero indicates that the input is not active. And then a one indicates that the index, the input is active. So you can, can, without hooked up, being hooked up to spike mark or anything, you can fire an input into there, into the effects and see if it's being read. Yeah. And that can help you troubleshoot like a wiring problem. Um, and then the other thing that it adds is that the, uh, Subnet. It's a subnet mask. Mm-hmm. You can uh, you can tweak that, and we added that uh, over the summer. Oh, maybe two, oh, yeah, like a year ago. It summer. was a while ago, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, and that's not typically all that necessary, but if you're on a on a largish network where you need to be able to set the subnet, well, and on the same firmware front. Uh, this is, you know, Christmas time. And so we are also finding quite a few people who have updated SpikeMark, but have not updated the firmware on their uh. stagehands. And, um, and the quickest, the quickest way to figure that out in case SpikeMark isn't telling you that you have a, sp- uh, a firmware update is that if you try and reset zero, yeah, reset, re- position. reset your position and it doesn't work. That is a quick indicator that you have a firmware and spike mark mismatch. That's right. Yeah, because we made an adjustment to spike mark three point a while back. Eight. Three point eight. Okay. Seven. Yeah, something. somewhere around there. Yeah. Where um almost two years ago. We changed where the position offset was stored when you did a non zero um position set. And we used to store that in spike mark and then we changed it to store it in the stagehand, which is a much better place to store it. Um, but that means that both spike mark and stagehand have to agree on who's holding that number. Yeah. Yeah. Who's got that? Yeah. I got that information. I got it. I got it. I got it. I, got it. <laughs> I don't got it. <laughs> yeah. Zero. <laughs> that is yeah. not zero. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's a, so those are the moments of, of, you know, confusion and tragedy of, yeah. Why can't I reset zero? It's yeah. the wrong firmware or the wrong spike mark. Yeah, that's the subtitle of my autobiography. <laughs> Moments of <laughs> confusion and sorrow. <laughs> Mine is, uh, are you certain you've checked your IP address? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, so we've had some on-site work recently as well. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys... Uh, listeners, avid listeners from a year ago, remember the trials and tribulations of some on-site work for Rada and the fact that he was gone for like a month and a half. Every time he headed towards an airport, he was asked to go someplace else. (laughs) Um, And um, so this, uh, this year we, uh, we ended up getting in the, well, in the shop, we got some, we got um, Elf, the, there's an Elf tour. There's two Elf tours. And we got their rigs into the shop and did some refurbing and re, uh, rehashing of some of the, the stagehands and the machines. Uh, and yeah, then, that's right, because there were some, Rod was out on the road in the last year, like you said, bopping around, and there, there were some problems with the rigs. Um, I'm not... I don't honestly know who had built the rigs initially and it doesn't really matter, but the, the hardware was, had some issues like the, just the, you know, this is all just like simple pulleys, but you know, even simple pulleys take a, there's some key things to think about if you're designing travel track hardware. There is too simple. 
Yeah. As a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, but, but we, we got through those challenges last year we and did. then we spoke with the, with the tour folks after, after the dust settled from the tour we said, you know, maybe it would be great if we could get the gear back to us. Because yeah. I think they also, one of the tours managed to, uh, Somehow in there, one of the components on the, one of their curtain calls sheared apart. Yeah. There was a rod, a ten, the tension the rod. rod. Yeah. Um, they broke it while they were on, you know, what they were trying to load a show in. And I was no good. And so, you know, we, we got everything. So we convinced, uh, we, we discussed the idea of getting the gear back and, and it all seemed like a good idea. So we got the gear here. We did some and good refund. on them, right? Because it wasn't, it was oh. not cheap, really. I mean, in the world, not hugely expensive, but it was money to spend that is like preventive maintenance, yeah. which is always tough. Yeah. Everyone's on a budget and all that. And it was good on networks for ponying Making up. it happen. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and it seemed to be really successful. We got all the gear here. We managed yep. to actually, we got the, we had the opportunity to really dig into it, right. get everything together, set the rigs up in the shop, at least a short version of them. The crews from the tours actually came out for a couple of days of training. Right. In the and shop. And Harry Beauregard, once again, designed up some fancy new travel Super track fancy. Hardware. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, oof, wow, that's that a, that yeah. is, yeah, it's looking sweet, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we got some pulleys in there. We got some parts. It's like three different sizes of pulleys. I was like, wow. Yeah. It's so much fancier than I would have done. Yeah. It's really nice looking. It. It was super, actually, yeah. in comparison to what was there. Um, Definitely. But even not even comparing it to that, that, you know, it was on the level of what we want for hardware to be leaving the shop. Yeah, that was great. Um, and like you said, we got the, the guys from the tour the, to come in and spend two days, three days, three days yeah. in the shop. Yeah. One day with you, two yeah. days with Rada. Right. And, uh, and then Rada and, uh, which was right after LDI, which was right after LDI, which thanks a lot for that. I didn't <laughs> have to get here. So. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then so like two days after they were here, Rada and, uh, Breezy both went and out Jess. to, and Jess, oh, that's right. Rada, Jess and Breezy all went out to different places and, um, and God helped them get loaded in and get through their first day of tech and, yeah. um, so it was good. And it seems like, you know, knock on wood, knock on wood. We haven't gotten a phone call yet. So I think maybe we did our job. Yes. On that one. Hopefully, hopefully we, we certainly put our, our best effort into we it. Really did. Um, and on the similar vein, we had the, uh, Christmas story tour in the Christmas story tour came in this year and, um, they, uh, they, they rent a stagehand and a coder and a showstopper from us. Right, and they integrate it with a with some existing scenery and existing machinery, machinery. that we didn't build. Yeah, Center Stage out of New York built it some years ago. Center Line, Center Line, sorry, that's yeah. Um, and um, and last year, last year they had a lot of trouble. They came into the shop, they got the stuff, we gave them a little you know whiz bang tour of the of doing the gear, but then they also had mechanical problems outside of just using usability issues. Yeah, um, and so another one as we were trying to focus on like, how can we make this a better experience for everybody? Right. Um, Cause a little, I mean that one of the tricks with that tour has been in the past that and it was this year too, but I think you came up with, you came up with a very good idea of how to get around it. But the, the challenge is that the set is all like in a truck and it's not going to be seen until load in mm -hmm. and the crew has to get trained on the automation 
without any of the scenery or yeah. machinery yeah. <laughs> that they're going to be actually installing. And so in the past we would kind of just set up one of our stock machines and show them the ropes and it, it never didn't click. It didn't click. Right. Cause yeah. it was so different than what they were going to be yeah. walking into. Cause what they have is a, it's you know, the, it's the main house in Christmas story, you know, like you'll, you'll drive her out kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it drives up stage and downstage. Right. Yeah. It, and it's got a, I don't know, like a five horsepower motor or something on there and yeah. dual drive, uh, yeah, like a long drive shaft, two rubber wheels. Um, but it has to have an outboard dancer wheel encoder on it. And, uh, and that doesn't match any equipment that we actually have. We don't have a friction drive machine like that for wagons. But fortunately, because we are in Warren, Rhode Island, the, the center, the, the middle of automation. It's the epicenter. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, yeah. It's um, ground zero for automation. We reached out to stage machines who has in the unit next to us in our little office park. And, um, they had a couple of friction drive wheels. Yeah. Even cooler, right? Like they're the giant conveyor tubes. Conveyor tubes. Yeah. I mean, that was, wasn't what I was really going for, but that's what we had. So, you know, we said, sure. Rubber coated, I mean, they're like eight inch diameter conveyor tubes. And they had the right, they had the right plugs on them and everything. Right. It's like he uses stagehands to control his gear. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and so we built a little wagon. Yep. And um, we set these things up and put it up in our, in our, in one of our, in our setup space. Yep. Across the driveway. And, um, and then gave them a chance to actually like set the dancer wheel up, see what happens when it's backwards, see what, you know, see how it goes, see what it means when then coder counts are wrong. Right. You know, and how to mess up your position scale and what happens when you mess up your position scale and all those things, write some cues and do your scaling. And they left happy. Yeah. Feeling like they, you know, we, we felt that they got a lot out of it. And I think they did. And again, you know, knock on wood that we, yeah. We haven't heard from them. I thought that was excellent. I thought it was a really good idea and it seems so, to have worked out. So I mean, we'll see. I hope so, you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's funny. It's a challenge, right? Of yeah. just trying to figure out how to how to offer the best training possible because it's mm-hmm. especially on these tours, you know, these guys are in a tough spot um that they're they're days away from having to load in a show with maybe that they haven't seen before, right? And so they've got a lot on their plate and yet you're trying to like I just need, you know, yeah. I'm going to try to show you these things out of context, <laughs> but it's going to be super important in yeah. about 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, the number of hours that I think collectively you and I spent on the phone with them trying to troubleshoot right. challenges that they were up against last year was just like, yeah, it was, it was rough. It was rough for everybody. I mean, not just on this side of the phone no. either. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> a lot rougher on their side of the phone because they've got the, the whole yeah. cast and crew and management looking at them like, yeah. why can't this thing work? Yeah. Why doesn't like, this well, work? Another 10 minute break. Can you get it working? Yeah. Like not no. in 10 minutes. I don't yeah. think so. Not well, you know, electricians are on stage with the genie, like trying to, you <laughs> yeah. know, focus. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a tough sell. Yep. It's a hard moment. So I hope, I hope that was a good path. And I think that's something we're trying to, we're trying to kind of embrace yeah. on the idea of like, how can we help get that to, you know, open that path to success. Yeah. And well, and one of the things that's really helped with that too, is that Brian Belfer, our operations manager, having snagged the, an additional nice. setup space for yeah. us. And then, he, I mean, that has been super, um, key and then he's, and he fitted out well with, you know, cam tails and everything else. So it's like a, it's a really good 
space for doing that kind of work. That's great. Super great. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So do we want to uh, tackle the uh, MPE? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, one of the, <laughs> so one challenge, one of the pieces to this, one of the phone calls that I get pretty regularly and emails to support are, why am I getting a position fault? What is this little ruler and exclamation point in spike mark? Yeah. I was like, oh, well, because you have a position fault. They were like, ah, I can't have a position fault. And I was like, mm, I think you can. <laughs> <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> Evidence suggests otherwise. Um, and uh, and then just to add to this position fault and the uh, max position error and how that all plays together in the spike mark for one, mm-hmm. we added a position lag time yeah. in there, which which dramatic which can dramatically affect your max position error. It's so true. Because <laughs> so if I could set the stage a little bit about why, please. Why is there now a second parameter, right? So if we think about uh, position errors, um, you know, a position error is the different is a is tripped when there is a large enough difference between where the uh, motion controller wants the motor to be and where the motion the motion controller detects that the motor really is mm-hmm. um, and when that number grows past the window that you've set with max position error it triggers a, a fault sounds reasonable enough right um, <laughs> so if you say like I have a uh, I mean this is just using round numbers right like say I, I have a one inch uh, position error and that means I'm you know, if I ever it lag behind by 1.1 inches, I'm going to trip a position error fault. That sounds great. It does. Right up until you start to think about like, well, or let's use a worse example, a 10 inch position error. Um, I have a 10 inch position error. So like conceivably I could be 10 inches off of where I, I'm supposed to be and I'm going to fault. And that sounds pretty bad. And that really is pretty bad. But just wait a second. It gets worse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that would be bad. Right. And you think, all right, well, the most I could ever be off is 10 inches. Right. And I can kind of, I can live my life anticipating this 10 inch possible position error window. That is true. Except right. What, ha- how the motion controller determines that you have a 10 inch, uh, position error is that it's watching the encoder and then running that against the internal trajectory calculation to figure out where the motor should have been. If that encoder becomes disconnected. The hell you say. <laughs> like, say you cut the cable, right? <laughs> you think, yeah, well, I can only get 10 inches off. Like, well, not really. You can only get, you can get wildly more than 10 inches off, depending on how slow the queue is running, the, how slow the queue is programmed. Because if I had programmed a queue to move at one inch per second, right, it would take logically 10 seconds before that uh, position error was tripped because it would take 10 seconds before I, you know, at one inch per second before I exceeded the position error window. If I cut that encoder cable, the motion controller is going to detect no movement. So it's going to speed up yeah. and it still detects mo- no movement. So it's going to speed, speed up more again. and speed up more. And like within a fraction of a second, you're running at full speed. Mm-hmm. And that's going to mean that like for now 10 seconds, it's going to run at full speed. So if you have a 36 per inch, 36 per inch, 36 <laughs> inch per second, rather, um, 
winch that's capable at full uh, speed. 360 it's inches. It's 360 inches <laughs> off before you trip a position error. And that is like scary disastrous. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then the second setting in there now is position lag time, which you can think yeah. of as being kind of like a, a a timer window that says, okay, not only can you only be 10 inches off, which is still too high, but let's just roll with that in a second. Because right? <laughs> that happens to actually be the, the max position error on the push stick V2. Right, because it's the maximum yeah, allowed the error. Maximum allowed error, right. Um, and if you, you can now say, but... I only, but also I never want to let the position lag for more than a, say a half second. Uh-huh. And so what that'll do is it calculates, okay, so in a half second, if I ran for a half second at a one inch per second queue, then that means that I would be a half inch off, right? That would be my half inch position error, allowable position error. And when we load the trajectory down, we would say, okay, if I... Allowing for a half inch or a half second uh, lag time, I got a half inch allowable error. Or I look at what you set as the maximum position error and say that's 10 inches. Then the spike mark says, okay, I'm going to always take the lesser of those two. And then I will send down a half inch uh, <laughs> max position error mm -hmm. down to the drive, which means now that you will only run for half a second, which is still at 36 inches per second. A, it's still, it's still 18 yeah. inches. It's still 18 inches. So, you, again, you'd want to even dial that back more and more and more. But what that allows is us to have two parameters to set to try and catch a low speed, a, a, program, a programmed move at low speed, catch a potential encoder failure, and dynamically adjust the position error setting for In it. In that moment, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it could be, you know, I mean, so as Gareth, you know, Gareth's point there is that your your 10-inch MPE value could quickly actually be significantly shorter than that, significantly smaller than that, depending on what your position lag time is. So, right. You know. Because we're dynamically setting it. We're not just taking your yeah. MPE value. <clears throat> so... Um, so if you look at your log viewer, for instance, you might see that one of your cues has a loaded value of 10.42 inches or 10 inches. And then you might find your, <laughs> that was nice. Um, <laughs> Cody just came into the studio. <laughs> <Please. in> the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Made his entrance. Um, but then you could, you could with a, you know, with a half, uh, with a with half a half second, second yeah. delay, your position your position error is going to drop down to like five inches, yeah, instead of ten inches. So it could be like could very quickly get to get to a significantly smaller number, and not quite understand why your slow cues keep position faulting, but your fast cues are cool. Right. Um, Do yeah. we log down what what? position error value we've sent yeah actually so in the log file if you're looking in the log viewer you can see when you load a queue and execute a queue it's going to tell you in the log viewer what position error was what position error was asked for and what was actually used right and so that lets you know when we've yeah. dynamically overridden what you've set uh-huh yeah, yeah. And, to try and make it safer <clears throat> yeah and it's you know uh, <clears throat> we ran into a, a few a couple people right after we <laughs> Right after we released this and um, and hadn't 
<clears throat> hadn't actually published any real documentation on it. Uh, and we're like, oh my God, I'm position faulting. I don't know what's going on. And I was like, oh, uh, it's because uh, we got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah. Right there. Um, here's the thing. <clears throat> um, there's some, there's a, we wrote up a little document and uh, it's available, it should be available on our website uh, about what that is and how that actually plays together. We're showing some, showing some specific details. Right. Like what the, what the max, what the MPE is for some stock machines and how that plays together. Right. So. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's good. It's important. And it's a, it's a worthwhile thought to, you know, (laughs) give some bits to, if we lose our encoder signal, what is the max speed of that motor and how far will it go before it actually position faults as opposed to just faults out? Right. So no, it's a, it's a really good, uh, additional safety setting. So yeah, you definitely want to, you want to have it and you want to set both of those values as low as you can possibly get them so that we can. Yeah. Stop abort motion quickly. Yeah. Then, you know, along with every other time that I answer this question to it, those, all of these factors on how tight you can keep your motion are really controlled by, you know, auto tuning and on the VFD yeah. and actual PID tuning and spike mark. Yeah. So the poor, the more poorly tuned your motor is, the more likely it is that you will, you will have a, a position fault in a queue. Yes. And by no means do we recommend turning off a board on position. No, I think, you know, that's been a longstanding debate. I mean, Mm -hmm. both internally in my head and then externally (laughs) with other people, like about whether or not we should even allow you to turn off the the max position error. I've, I still feel like we need to allow it to be turned off just because sometimes as a troubleshooting step, it's really handy to be able to like disable the board on position error. So you can at least see what the heck the system is doing. Um, but unfortunately what, you know, unfortunately and understandably some folks who don't quite grasp what's going on there think like, well, the thing doesn't run if I have this checkbox checked and it does run if I don't have it checked. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave it unchecked. Um, and that's never really, never the right answer for in a show condition. And to that point, we actually moved where the abort on position error checkbox is now. Yeah, it's now, now advanced. It's, it's a little more hidden. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've hidden it. We made it harder for you to find where uh, to turn it off. And we default it to on. Yes. Yes. So now it is defaulted to on and hidden away. Yes. Although you can still reach it. You can still reach it. Mm-hmm. You're still a grown up. And now you have the knowledge to actually get there. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Uh, But if you do have any questions about that and you need any further guidance, feel free to reach out. Yep. Uh, You know, support at creativeconnors.com and we can can help talk you through what's going on. And, you know, taking a quick look at the log file can usually is is a is a reasonably good way to explain what's happening. Yeah. Yep. And then to your point, too, not in our notes, but something that you mentioned that we should probably point out that. The Spike Mark Four documentation is not yet complete, but you've been publishing. What are you talking about? <laughs> you kiss your mother with that mouth? <laughs> the hell you say? <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, it is not. We we have not actually gotten to documenting all of the updates and the but changes. You have a lot of documentation yeah. that has been that it's very good it's, and that is is available on the web. That's just being shared as public Google Doc links, and I think that's. Where does that surface? Is it on the website now or is it just like a... should be on the website. Okay. And if it isn't, it's, it will be shortly. Yeah. Excellent. 
Yeah, we're we're working pretty hard, but there there were so many changes to between Spike Mark seven point two. Yeah. <laughs> to four <laughs> to four point or four one, one now. Yeah. Um one seven, whatever is out. Yeah. And um that uh that you know we honestly in the development side of it, we kind of lost sight of actually publicizing what all of the changes yeah. and the additions were. Right. Uh and we're trying to rectify that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I wanted to point out that there is some of that is available. Those references are, yeah, out and about. <clears throat> um, so we've got a couple more, a couple more things here. Uh, seven fingers. <laughs> uh, which is a, an excellent um, performance group out of yeah. Montreal. Um, our uh, good friends, Simon and Jeremy, uh, from Montreal that we worked with on the fame show at just for laughs. Yeah. Um, are working with seven fingers and we're they, getting big in Montreal. We're getting big in Montreal. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're big in Japan. Um, yeah. So they, uh, reached out to us, uh, and asked for a quote on some gear that we, uh, we landed. Um, they have a giant cube, um, that needs to be, uh, center driven. Um, and it's, it weighs roughly five tons everyone uh-huh. estimated. Yeah. And, and it's not running on like, you know, on any solid surface floor. No, <laughs> no, it's a soft, <laughs> it's like a, not a sprung floor, but it's like a squishy it's floor. It's a squishy floor. It's a yeah, squishy and it, floor and on triple swivels. Did I tell you triple swivels? swivels? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, with slightly soft triple swivels on it. Um, and, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so a little bit of math and like blowing up heads over here, trying to figure out how we're yeah, going to make I it think, move. I think we're almost done with the math, which is uh-huh. good. And I think we're, I think we've done enough math to be, to get our head in the right space. And I think our next step is going to have to be, uh, build a thing, load up a bunch of weight, put it on that, onto a, on a big, uh, test rig and see how it does. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be a, a big boy, 10 horsepower center drive machine. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> one of our biggest concerns there is on e-stop, you know, yep. making sure that we, you know, center drives scare the bejesus out of me a little bit just because the amount of torque at that center is, I mean, we e-stop that at full speed and we're just like, something is going to keep going. Something is going to keep and going. And it's more than likely going to be the deck underneath it <laughs> Yeah. or the bolts are going to shear one of the two, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. We're like, how are we going to hold that down? And we were talking about like water weight and concrete blocks and yeah. <laughs> Something with threads. Um, Some, yeah. Uh-huh. Really heavy threads. Yeah. Years and years ago, I did a big center drive thing and uh, ruined several gearboxes um, on the E-Stop. Um, and so we're really trying to avoid that, uh, repeating that uh-huh. that tragedy again. Because, um, boy, those things get expensive as you keep pouring gears out of them. Life lessons with Gareth. <laughs> they were sad times. There's some heartfelt moments. It doesn't look night. sad right now. Like sitting across the table from you, it doesn't look so sad. But I, I think I might have been around for one of those. Maybe because this was uh, with like Rose Tattoo or something at the something like that at the Huntington. Hmm. Hmm. Unsure. Anyway, <laughs> um, luckily back in those days, it wasn't my money, so it wasn't as bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah uh regardless um so 
we have the problem of e-stop, right? And one of the things we're going to we're anticipating doing there to try and reduce the the shock load on the system is to do a kind of undersize the brake, undersize the brake yeah. a lot, like put a very weedy little brake on the motor mm-hmm. so that when we hit the e-stop, we pull, we lift power to the motor and then, um, the brake is weak so that we just back drive through the brake a bit. Um, and this is a similar thing that sometimes folks will do on, um, performer flying performer systems. Fly, yeah. Um, so that you actually run through the brake to lessen the, the shock load. Um, so we're going to do that. The second thing that, um, is a reasonable, uh, request from the, from the tech direction team is that they want to put pneumatic brakes, like little pop down feet on the cube. Um, so that because we're only holding in the center on the center drive, they're worried that it's going to get, um, there's going to be too much play back and forth on the outside, which there will be. Right, because because uh, we can't forget, it's not just the cube spinning around. It opens up, and then there's performers and acrobatics, uh, yeah, like climbing on the walls, <laughs> yeah, and bouncing off of it. And yeah, so it's going to be a lot of stuff. I don't know; it's not going to move. <laughs> so, so they're wisely wanting to put uh, pneumatic uh, step down brakes on there. Um, but another concern I had was that. So we're going to slip through the motor brake, which is great. But if we deploy the pneumatic brakes, if those go down too fast, we're going to just be, we're just going to be breaking seals on cylinders every time <laughs> because it'll be slipping through there and then just, you know, knocking over pneumatic pistons. Uh, job security. <laughs> if we were making those pneumatic feet, then maybe that'd be good. No, no, no. That is definitely not the right thing. That's not the right thing. So. Yeah. Um, so we went back and forth in a little bit about like timing relays and other sensor systems that we could put in there. And then we came up with it, I think, a, a, a simpler, smarter idea, which is just use some old school, you know, pneumatic flow control. And so we will basically just slow down the deployment yeah. by limiting the airflow coming down. Which is awesome. Which is awesome because yeah. these things don't ever have to snap down into place. No, we don't want them to. We don't want them to. <laughs> Even it, like if it's just decelerating and stopping normally, if it takes like an extra second or two for the feet to deploy, it's not going to be a problem. So and that makes it pretty simple. So that means that um, the pneumatic feet can uh, be on a, on a uh, four-way, two-position solenoid valve that is normally you know, fail-safe, so it deploys brakes. Uh, Where do you think we can find those? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out Granger. Like I had this conversation at my desk, I'd just punched into because I couldn't find a 240 volt <laughs> solenoid valve at Automation Director or McMaster, and I just punched into into Granger, and Mike came over and talking. I'm like, yeah, Mike, can you think where else should I be looking for these things? You know, like I could, like uh, you know, what are what what vendors should I be going to? And then we looked at my screen. I'm like, oh, it's the first search result in Granger, right there. Done. Never mind. You're welcome. All done. <laughs> Boom. I am your muse. (laughs) (laughs) That you are, my friend. That you are. So, yeah, so we'll just tie the solenoid valve into um, right into the brakes. So the brake circuit, when it energizes, it'll push out 240 volts. Whoa. Uh, Maybe 239. I don't know. (laughs) Um, <clears throat> 220, 221, whatever it takes. Um, <laughs> so it'll, it'll energize with that and that will, mm-hmm. uh, throw the solenoid valve to retract brakes and that will be full speed. Yeah. Full bore. And yep. we'll just push, pop those up. And then when we settle in, we will 
de-energize the brakes, which will throw air pressure slowly. back down. Slowly. Slowly. Yeah. It's a gentle touch. Gentle touch. Yeah. It's going to be nice. I think, I think it's a really great path. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, to, to figure out how to do that. I mean, I've like, I've done, I've done pneumatic brakes, the you know, spring actuated and have always fought with the timing. Right. Um, you know, and the, yeah, it's, yeah. it's never worked out particularly great. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. I, so I think this will yeah. be good and we'll report back if we're lying. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll find out pretty soon. We're going to find out. Yeah. We're going to hit a button and rip something out of the floor. Um, <laughs> and then the last thing there is that one of the things that the fellows at, um, that are representing seven fingers on this really want uh posi stage net output from spike mark. And initially we had, um, included some, some money in the quote to actually implement the posi stage net feature. And that money unfortunately had to get cut just because of, you know, budgets and life and stuff. Um, <clears throat> But we're still going to give it our all because I think it would be a cool feature um, to have in there. Um, and although we don't have any money in it, in the quote for it, we're going to see if uh, if we have the software cycles, we're going to give it a, a shot and see if we can get Posi Staging in there. We'll we'll have to dig deeper into this in a later, later episode. Yeah. But um, Christian and I have been, well, I've been talking about and Christian has been doing um, <laughs> cleaning up um, some of the spike mark code because we did a lot of as you alluded to earlier we did a lot of development last year in spike mark and it was all very good but we had some of the code base there's a concept of technical debt right where it's like (laughs) you you do something quickly to get something done Uh and you kind of take out a little loan that says like this may not be the cleanest implementation but we're going to do it anyway because we got to get this done and we took we've taken the last couple of (laughs) months to pay back some of that debt and say like, now we're going to go through and just clean up this code and, uh, both the new development and some of the old development stuff and try to, uh, what they call refactor, which is not change the implementation, but change the internal structure so that we or not change the, the behavior, but change the internal structure, uh, to make it, um, easier to maintain, uh, more logical, easier to read all that stuff. We got um, some beta stuff going on in the other room with like eight axes, nine axes right now. Yeah. It's we haven't even Rada hasn't been able to break it, which is nuts. I mean, I, Rada can maybe break he anything. has, maybe he hasn't actually yeah. been over there yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we haven't untied his other hand. <laughs> like, yeah, but that was my left hand. Give me my right, right. hand, and I'll do some damage. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Give me the bigger hammer. I can crash this thing in three moves. <laughs> um. <clears throat> But one of the things we did, uh, we, one of the things Christian did that in that refactoring was that we talked about um, trying to make a a unified uh, code base for output to other systems because we are outputting to multiple systems right now, but each of them has their own little implementation. And we wanted to abstract that into a layer inside SpikeMark to make it easier to add new protocols in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that most of the mechanism is the same right up until we spit it out over the wire. And then yeah. we just, we, we muck with the, the protocol format to spit it out of the wire. So it would be a kind of a fun first test to see if we can get posi stage networking, um, using that same backbone. Well, so. we've had a couple now, a couple other people ask very directly about, uh, getting our Q-Lab. position data into QLab. 
Yes. And and we keep saying And QLab's like Christian's favorite software application. Yeah, I know, right? It's just like killing him that I haven't like <laughs> So just like, let him free. It. Yeah. Because <laughs> if I did, he would just be like, uh-huh. and I did everything in QLab. you like, but yeah. you're supposed to be working in Spike Mark. Spike Mark. Spike Mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we had uh, most recently somebody reached out to us with, uh, with a very specific question about getting position data and like giving us some guidance to what that output should be, yep. what, what the input into QLab should be, um, and what how it might be able to work. And, um, you know, it's not lost on us that that's important. Um, but we're just, you know, we've been focusing the on list other is things. long and the days are short. Yeah. Yeah. Like motor grouping seemed more important. <laughs> and motor grouping is actually more important <laughs> for an automation company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, we might have like a hundred of those that we need to do soon. So thank yeah. God we got that backbone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's not for, for anybody out there who, you know, has a sound friend yeah, yeah. who is complaining that Spike Mark won't speak to won't speak to Q Lab. Cut off his ponytail first. Yeah, cut off his ponytail first and then shave his beard off. And then then, and then you say, can say Yes, we know. Yeah. We're working on it. They said so. It's in a podcast. It's in a podcast. It's <laughs> legally binding now. And if and if we don't do it, we'll give you all the money back you spent listening to this podcast. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, so that's, I mean, that's in there too. And as it is an important question, hundred percent, because we would love to work better with QLab. Yep. Yeah. Except for the ponytails. Except for the ponytails. Who? Who? Right. Uh, we Nicole got some peanuts. We got some peanut gallery action going on over here. All right, Cody. Fine. We got a top knot. We got one ponytail. And yeah, then, but Harry Harry rocks the ponytail, or lets it all just hang out, kind of yeah. metal style. Sure. So, I think that gives him a pass. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Fine. <laughs> Don't cut off anyone's ponytails. No, I won't cut that. No, no way. Not unless you really need to, <laughs> <laughs> unless it's a, unless it's required in the situation. Yeah. Unless in the moment. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so our next thing I think on the list Garrett, cause we already talked about the other bits in here. Yeah. Is, uh, the push stick mini. Ooh, push stick mini. Uh huh. That sounds delightful. It's like a Bite push. Size. It's like a push stick, but smaller. The devil you say. <laughs> and so it's going back to the idea of uh, it's a zero fleet machine. Mm, what? Nice. Yeah. Um, it is kind of is in the in the idea of the push stick V2. Right. Except with um, instead of tracking up and down the whole motor carriage, we are tracking fair leads up and down. Right. And so longtime listeners will note that this is a machine that we talked about for the ESPN studios. What? I don't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way that we actually, you know, prototype this. (laughs) Yeah. But we took all those lessons learned. I mean, there were two things. There were, were, well, multiple things, right? One was that the frame was squishy and we fixed that. What? (laughs) And we fixed that in ESPN too. But the first one we built was a wee bit undersized, we might say. On some of the framing components, and we fixed all that, made it a um, much m- stouter. I, stouter, I like. 
And I say these words, and I mean them with love, but it's a little more Soviet in some key areas. <laughs> like, Just after an election care, that cuts, man, that cuts deep. <laughs> I, for one, re- welcome our new Russian overlords. The, no, but we, like, some of the fanciness went away, and we, mm-hmm. like... We moved the, like, the lower pulleys went to the side cheeks of the frame, like, the strongest, mm-hmm. most muscly parts of the frame. And um, we come up with some really neat solutions on various on various details. Uh, like, Steve did a really nice job of honing. I think this is, this design process, honestly, out of, like, we pushed through that ESPN yeah. machines, and they were great, and we got them out, and we then, the, the, I mean. And they've been working every day. And they have been working every day, unlike the other oh. studio. Yeah. I mean, they work. I they mean, the just aren't using them. Too, they just don't use them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but on first take, they really use them. They use them. Yeah. Literally every day. And it's, and I mean, I, I we haven't gotten one phone call, knock on wood, one more time. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think one of the awesome parts for me is, I mean, like Cody and I, as we're sitting here in this room, we were there and we took those things out of the van with Harry and we put them in and we raved them up and both of us kind of looked at each other. And we're like, ah, uh, Cody was like, I don't think this is going to work. I was like, no, 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 we're going to make this work. <laughs> and then we, t- and we took a little more attention. I was like, no, nah, I think you're right. I don't think these are going to really work out for us <clears throat> as everything kind of smiled and frowned as we, yeah, and then, I remember the phone conversation but, with you that night of saying like, but we, do we just need to put them back in the van. And we did them put up. them back in the van. And I think, you know, to the awesomeness of who we are and what we were able to do, we, busted them out and we made them, we got them stout and we put them back in and we were, and they worked great. And we took those lessons, yes, as you said, into this next design phase. And like the design phase on this side for me has been pretty amazing as it has not been opaque at all. Right. You know, we've had a Except couple. Except for your private meetings with Cody. We oh, shared wow. all of those notes. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> But in the, but in those moments of like, you know, in the, in the design review process and then the group design review of like, what are all these comments, what is going on and how we are like, uh, where are they valid concerns and comments and how do we address them and how do we keep this in the scope that we're trying to keep it in? Right. I think it has been a a very fantastic project and process and yeah. And kudos to Steve really for Steve for both like helping to form that process and then being for just like an amazingly easygoing dude about having six people pick your work apart. I know. No, it's been, and, and, but there isn't, I mean, you know, other than strong opinions, right? Right. Like the design is solid. Yeah. And I think we've done some really great things to make it. Yeah. And I think it's by having that much input. So we've just, uh, for the inside baseball explanation, like the design process, we, we tried to formalize it because, you know, we're, I think this is the most meetings I have ever attended here at creative Connors in the last like two and a half months <laughs> ever. Yeah, probably true. And I, and I do want to watch that cause I don't want to be a, no. an automation company that knows how to have meetings rather than an automation company that knows how to do automation. But, no, but, yes. but I think we'd gotten, I think we needed a little bit of formalization, right. Mm-hmm. So that we could find like, when we design a new product, what is the, what are the milestones that we reach and what are those defining moments? And so we have, now we have a few reviews, design reviews that happen at, at regulated intervals where the design, the person who's designing the thing, like we have the initial kickoff thing where we outline what are the, what are the major features that have to um, be 
uh, incorporated into the design? And then um, what are the things that we're going to, we're willing to sacrifice? And then the designer goes away and schedules and a, a review, an initial review where most of the work is done. And then we all sit around and it, the folks that are in the shop are in the shop, but we have a big screen and a yeah. webcam and the folks that are remote um, join into a remote meeting and we can, we all look at the fusion 360 model, um, online and we can point at, we can debate, uh, points of the design and circle areas of concern and whatnot. And then yeah. the designer then goes back to the drawing board and fixes those comments. And then we have a final design review and then we have an acceptance and at the acceptance phase, by the acceptance date, every yeah. interested party has to either check off or forfeit their right to criticize. Yeah. Basically like you have to, you have to be invested enough to engage in the review process and then sign off or, um, you know, or not sign off with these comments, you know, say that these are the problems still with the design, uh, for the thing to move forward. Um, and that's, been hugely helpful so that everyone who has a stake in the product or a, 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 a real interest in the product um, has a has time and opportunity to uh, participate in the in the review and I think it's been really good I think it's been great and some of it was I mean some of it was just natural and some of it was informed a bit by the the ESTA process which as we've been involved in that. And, yeah. I mean, and that's like, there's the other end of the spectrum that I hope we don't ever go completely that way. No, no, we cannot go that. But it is pretty, <laughs> but it's a cool way to, it's, it's neat to see how those standards are formed and what that process is. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's been good. I think, I think that has been, yeah, it has been so that, super, yeah, the design yeah. review process has been great. Um, yeah. The other big thing that I thought I wanted to just point out about the push stick mini, the real one is that on ESPN, we had the concept that we wanted to do onboard controls. So build the stagehand into the machine and we just didn't have the time to do yeah. it. So we gave up on that cause we're like, we don't have to do it for this. Like this is, can be, these can be custom built machines for this studio. Um, but for the release product, we definitely wanted to have onboard controls so that we could have, um, a product where you just plug it into the wall and this is a 110 volt, mm -hmm. um, 110 volt input, yeah. input, plug in to power, plug in ethernet, plug in e-stop and that's it. So there's no separate stagehand controller that you have to purchase and place and all that stuff. Um, it's a pretty cool little machine. So it's got like 80 ish, a little more than 80 feet of, yeah. 85, 85, right? 85 feet worth of usable space on the drum with three wraps on either side, three safety wraps on either side of the drum. It's got a 400 watt servo. Um, so it's like 70 ish pounds of line pull. Uh, but that peaks at like 210 pounds of line pull. And the servo. And if we're thinking about curtain track, we're like at best, we're at 10% of the total weight that we're pulling around. Right. So at got, absolute, like, worst case. Right. Exactly. So, so you got at least 700 pounds worth of line stuff pull. you can pull around. Mm -hmm. And honestly, for a lot of deck tracks, that's going to be good enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a pretty sweet setup. Yeah, 36 inches a second. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Speed. And there's a belt stage in there, so... It's possible you could rejigger yeah. the... Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could change that belt stage if we needed to get it to go faster and drop the 
drop the capacity, the line pull down. Yep. Or so, vice versa, right? Then you could also mm-hmm. go a little slower and yeah, uh, right pick up some more. Yep. Pick up some more pull. So I think it, I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait to yeah. see this product actually out in the field and it's not, not ready for release yet, but it will be very, very, very soon. <laughs> we just, we just passed final design yeah. review. So yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the next stop is final design approval. So assuming that all of the revisions get made, we're going to be hitting the first production units will be uh, hitting the floor this month. So yeah. Yeah. Which is exciting. Kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. So yeah. So that's cool. And then lastly, Mike. Oof. Hey, anybody, any listeners out there interested in, uh, in joining our support team? Yeah, that's right. We're trying to figure out, uh, we, well, so, our, uh, we are looking to bulk up our support team. And at the moment, I'm not a hundred percent sure what that really means in terms of commitment and time. But, um, you know, I think there is some ability in there to be, there is potentially some ability in there to be remote. There's potentially some ability to be part-time, even just some scheduled time. Uh, you know, a lot of our support questions come in and I joked earlier about IP addresses, but (laughs) the number of, the number of phone calls just this week that had to do with position scale or IP address were kind of stunning. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out how to, which is a, which is a symptom of success, right? Like we have so many people out there now using the equipment that, yeah. And we're trying a lot of that. Yeah, and we're trying to also figure out how to make it better, right? Because because it's awful to be on both sides of that, right? It's tough when you're the one asking these questions because you don't because the information isn't available or because you don't understand because we haven't made the information clear, right? Um, but uh, but being able to be a part of that to get that on track and making it work. Um, so if there's you know if you're looking for that and you've got any interest in that feel free to drop me an email. <laughs> right. And like you said, I mean, just to reiterate, like yeah. this could be a remote position. This could be a part-time position. Yeah. Um, we're it, always happy to have people in Rhode Island, it, of course, but it's, it could be in Rhode Island. It could, we, we would love for it to be <laughs> yeah. in Rhode Island. <laughs> like, like, I should have led with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be the best, uh, but it's, um, but it's not out of the question. Like, so if yeah. you are, um, you know, if you have some experience with our gear yeah. and you are dissatisfied with your current position <laughs> and you have think, I got a job for you, and you think, yeah. my God, there's gotta be a place that pays me more money than this regional theater. Give us a call. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We're, we're and you really, don't mind yeah. helping people. I mean, it is a yes. lot of talking to people. And yes. so you got to be the kind of person who can keep a smile on your face, um, under pressure. Well, and, most of the time you're on the phone. Yeah, but it helps you smile on the phone. <laughs> yes, it, it is true. It is true. It gets you there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, being... Uh, a lot of email. A lot of email. Yep. A lot of email um, and, and a lot of phone time. Yeah. And shocking, even though coming from me, you know, it is important to actually not be condescending. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Do as he says, not yeah. as he does. Yeah. And well, it, hey, listen to me on the phone, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never do. <laughs> Can't hear me over Belfer. <laughs> uh, anyway, 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 in, in all, all seriousness, yeah, yeah. yeah, we would love to have some yeah. some uh, enthusiasts um, who are you know pleasant and good under pressure. Um, yeah, 
interested in talking about automation because that's, you know, ultimately what we do and we want people to be successful. And, and as you're suggesting there too, it's, it, a lot of it is customer facing, but we're also always looking for like the proactive support help too. So, you know, making videos, writing documentation, all those kinds of things. If you've got a knack for that, we've got a job for you. Yeah, we've got, we probably have some time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And to tail onto that too, we're also, you know, we also are, Occasionally, and this is a little bit more hit and miss, you know, schedule wise, but we are also looking for people who can, who can be out in the field, go load in a show as we get more and more, more and more requests for the whole package, right? The machines, the person, the make it happen, get everything in, loaded in, running, queued and, you know, and execute. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And on that note, I think we should wrap it up. Uh, I think so. The time flies. It is. It has been one hour and 16 minutes. What? Boom. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in again. Uh, It is always a pleasure to talk about this stuff. And uh, if you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and uh, leave a little review or something. Tell your friends and neighbors uh, to tune in. And we will see you next time.